So what they are trying to solve is Sybil resistance or how can I prove that I am a person? Hello, and welcome to The Crypto Brief, a podcast from the Fidelity Center for Applied Technology. Every week, we get together to discuss current events and trends in blockchain technology, tokenization, DeFi, NFTs, mining, and related aspects of the crypto ecosystem. I'm your co-host, Ryan Stubbe, Director of Bitcoin Mining, and I'm joined by Jason Ward, Head of the Blockchain Incubator, Parth Gargava, Product Architect within Fidelity Labs, and Jack Newrider, Research Analyst with Fidelity Digital Assets. Before we begin, just a friendly reminder that this discussion is for educational purposes only and should not be viewed as investment advice or a recommendation for any security or asset. The views expressed are those of the co-hosts and not necessarily those of Fidelity Investments or its affiliates. As we all know, digital assets are speculative and highly volatile and are only for those investors with a high risk tolerance. So let's dive into what's been happening recently. Hey guys. Good morning. How are you guys doing? Great. Jason, did you... Did you scan your eyeballs yet? <laughs> no, I, I, I've used Face ID for my phone and that's about as far as I'm going. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I just realized, I think it's funny enough that, so the three of us were at Consensus, right? Along with Ryan and WorldCoin had a booth with a, with a physical orb at Consensus. I don't know if you guys got a chance to look at that booth and they were right next to Secret Network and all the other privacy projects, which was, which was kind of funny. Do you remember seeing WorldCoin at Consensus last year? No. No, I don't. No, I, I went to the one in 2022. I didn't go this year, but I, I did see a um I did see a, a tweet over the weekend where people were complaining about how it had been brought into a conference. You know how like a lot of times you kind of remember these specific scenes and then you never forget them. So at Consensus, I remember this person taking a t-shirt out of uh Monero like their swag material, then go to Secret Network, took a t-shirt there, and then went straight to WorldCoin and then scanned his like iris. And that <laughs> that, that that to me was so ironical and just just weird in general. It's a barbelled approach to OPSEC. <laughs> that is that is amazing. Obviously we're gonna be doing a little bit of conversation today around around WorldCoin, but we're also gonna talk about base, uh, where Parth is gonna bring the base and, and kick us off with a last week I tried. And then if we have some time, we're gonna dive into uh, a teaser about what's happened over the weekend with Curve and this uh, most recent exposure. I'd say really an exploit tied in with a particular compiler. So I think the WorldCoin conversation is going to be pretty interesting. We've decided to go sort of free form. Uh, we're all going to try and play both sides of um, protagonist and antagonist. Before we do that, Parth, what are you up to? So I'm trying to kill two birds with a stone here. So we have to talk about base uh, going live. And that's actually what I ended up using last weekend. So Saturday was the launch of the base network. So, and some of you may know this, but base network is this highly anticipated layer two on Ethereum, which is built by none other than Coinbase. Right. In fact, um, I remember listening to a few Coinbase employees where they mentioned how they are thinking of innovative ways to move their core business on chain. And base happens to be step one. Right. So to move your business on chain, the first thing you need is a platform or a blockchain and uh, where you can build a bunch of applications and have users interact. So yesterday or day before I moved uh, some of my ETH to base and you might think this is pretty normal. Most farmers or people who are seeking early rewards, they move to different chains uh, when chains go live. But the interesting part is that even as of today, 
there is no official bridge by Coinbase or any other frontend to move your ETH to base. So whenever there is a new blockchain, you typically have to move your funds from ETH to the new blockchain using any sort of bridge, which is usually a simple website which says, hey, move my one ETH to whatever new blockchain I want to move to, whether it's Optimism, Arbitrum, or whatever layer two. But uh, interestingly enough, there was since there was no bridge available for base, I had to find the contract address on Coinbase's developer docs, confirm the contract address on Etherscan, and then deposit my ETH successfully. So that's kind of the story on how I move my funds. But the, the reason why I'm talking about this is that I have close to two, two big observations. The first is, in spite of not having a front end or a bridge, there was a lot of liquidity moving to base with just the help of Etherscan, right? And so I think we have close to $65 million locked on base and most people just have used Etherscan. Etherscan is a block explorer, but it also gives you a lot of things to do uh, when you deal with smart contracts. So my my observation number one is if you want to be good at DeFi, you, you cannot just rely on front end or a website, but you also have to learn how to interact with a contract directly uh, using Etherscan. Um, any any comments here before I move on to optimism? Yeah, yeah I was just going to say uh, $65 million over the course of, I mean, this all started, was it Friday? Yeah, Friday midnight. Yeah, so it's it's pretty impressive pickup over a very short time span where there's not even a functional front end at the moment. Exactly. When you said, you know, how you have to get on base, you have to interact with code. I wonder if that's a barrier or if that's really uh, an advantage right now, because maybe they, they're trying to get just those people who would be more active initially. Um, curious. Yeah, I, in my mind, I think back to when uh, Uniswap went live mm -hmm. and how much uh, total value locked it attracted in like 10 days time. So pretty high benchmark, but I think they did have the user interface uh, for that, correct? Yeah, that's right. And so for, for base, it's really interesting because you just have a handful of applications. In fact, when I got on, on Saturday, you just had two live applications, which you were using base. But the second observation that I want to uh, make is about OP stack or optimism stack. So OP stack is this open source development stack that powers optimism. And it's essentially a blueprint for creating highly scalable blockchains. And so in the past few months, the OP stack has been like really killing it. So they have emerged as the go-to place for a lot of these bigger players to launch their Ethereum rollup, whether it's Coinbase, whether it's Binance, Cello, and, and even WorldCoin is planning to use the OP stack. So they're all using OP stack to build their blockchains. And in my opinion, I think it's a pretty big win for Optimism because once you have a lot of these OP stack chains, it potentially will generate a lot of revenue by collecting transaction free from a lot of these sequencers. So I think it's it's one way, a big win for people who work on open source development. And now that people are seeing value in those deliverables, they'll get rewarded. Um, and so I, I would say I'm just, I'm pretty optimistic about optimism in a way. And the number of L2s that will be launched once you know people start seeing the the profitability involved in uh, some of these platforms will probably continue to increase, right? Mm -hmm. Exactly. I'm looking on L2Beat.com. Base is uh, has 80 million, just shy of 80 million in TVL, and that makes it the 10th largest layer two on Ethereum already. Uh, there's roughly 30 
right on on l2 beat um so that's pretty impressive over two or three days yeah i mean it's it's got a big name backing it it's using the op stack which is kind of battle tested now it's more about how we can have more uh how we can have the killer applications on base uh to get more traction and so speaking of applications let's talk about worldcoin which is also using uh op stack i think uh, we always have to keep in mind that these are all works in progress and continuing to evolve. So um, speaking of the work in progress and continuing to evolve, I think that the topic of WorldCoin is one that's pretty controversial. I think it's fair to say that um, there's a project that's been worked on for a few years where it seems that there's a, uh, a philanthropic message behind the project. Um, and there's also some questions about the, the technology that the project is being built upon. So maybe we could start out with a, a, a bit of a, an overview and really what is WorldCoin other than, uh, other than a headline? Yeah, so I guess the TLDR on WorldCoin is that it's a crypto project that uses iris scanning to verify users' identities. And so it's a project which was co-founded by Sam Altman, who is the CEO of OpenAI, and actually, that's one of the bigger reasons why WorldCoin is getting so much traction, because uh, it's backed by Sam Altman. So, so far, WorldCoin has onboarded 2 million people, which means that 2 million people signed up to register their iris or scan their eyeballs. And uh, 2 million people have received this new token called WLD or World. And so they're scanning people with this like weird looking sci-fi like orb which has been distributed in 35 cities so far. But the goal for WorldCoin is to kind of mix cryptocurrency plus AI plus blockchain. And the idea is to give the ability to humans to prove that they are human, right? And so, uh, so Sam believes that the rise of AI agents will kind of blur the lines between humans and robots. And there might come a time where you have to prove that you are a person or you are a human. So he's sending these like orbs and incentivizing people to scan their eyeballs and get some world tokens in return. I just want to read the first paragraph from their white paper to, to complement what you were saying. Um, what I see here is that in the introduction, it notes WorldCoin was founded with the mission of creating a globally inclusive identity and financial network owned by the majority of humanity. It says if successful, WorldCoin could considerably increase economic opportunity scale a reliable solution for distinguishing humans from AI online while preserving privacy, enable global democratic processes, and show a potential path to AI-funded universal basic income. I just want to ask the question, what's left for humanity to do? <laughs> if this project does all that, what's left? I, I, do, I do think a lot of people have initially just discounted the project and maybe let, let's try to kind of role play here. Let's try to be the devil's advocate and think about like why or where in what world could this be important? Yeah, the vast majority of people looking at like public blockchains tend to be drawn in because of the idea of like Bitcoin or Ethereum being this open source system that nobody can control, right? Built off of these like an ethos of no one controls it. Uh, it's not necessarily an equal system, but it's a fair system, right? Everybody has the same rules enforced upon them, um, and there's nobody you know changing these rules involved in the game. Whereas with Worldcoin, it starts to sound a little bit uh, 
antithetical or, or sort of opposite of, of some of those values. And so I think the gut reaction from the vast majority of people looking at public blockchains and interested in crypto is to immediately say that there's no chance or that this is dystopian, right? Yeah, exactly. And I, I do think it might possibly be a real project if you remove the tokenomics behind it. But Sam Altman is obviously a big tech star. Uh, I don't think this is intended to be a scam. In my opinion, it's just trying to make this UBI token, UBI coin, and and not make it investable or not have any sort of tokenomics which make people super rich. But it's just super weird to get your eyeballs scanned, right? Most people use their Face ID 20 times a day, or if you've ever used Microsoft or Samsung laptops, you scan your face. In fact, uh, some of you might have uh, access to global entry uh, at the airports, which uses some sort of facial recognition. Right. So so the idea of scanning your face is obviously it's something which we have all accepted. It looks like scanning your eyeballs to like a machine is definitely more more creepy. But I think it's really hard to map one person to one set of biometrics. And so what they are trying to solve is civil resistance or how can I prove that I am a person? And it is it is one of those like really hard computer science problems. And it, it's I would say it's 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 a pretty creative approach. I'm not sure if I would ever scan my scan my iris, but I think it's a really creative approach. It's a hard problem to identify who's a real person, who is not, how many people are using uh, some application. And in fact, we have had so many blockchains in the past which show uh, fake wallets to show activity. And so it's, it's trying to sh sort of ensure that you don't have multiple identities, but you actually have one uh, one proof of personhood. So it's a pretty creepy but creative approach, in my opinion. I, I do have to say, I kind of like the, uh, so you know when you go on websites, I still like the click on all the bike photos or click on all the car pictures to prove that you are not a robot. Like I would still prefer those. I, I, I think I'm with you. You know what, when I look at this particular project, besides the fact that I have, um, conjuring images of a, a new James Bond like theme song for behind the scenes. Um, I, I think about what are the tools? Okay, so you're gonna have an application that helps you with the onboarding. You've got this physical um, scanner and then you're, you're talking about um, an identity. And when you go beyond that identity, then there's also a, a token. And I worry about identity theft in the Web2 world and certainly generally speaking, and, if there's supposed to be a way to prove that you're human, um, again, just having access to a wallet doesn't prove that you're human. It proves that you have access to more than one wallet. So some human may have scanned an eye and have decided to sell it on a secondary market, which I think is a challenge that they're starting to deal with. But if, if I zoom back out and I think about the very first time that I saw uh, any example of iris scanning in relation to the blockchain, it was... Um, I'd been doing some research around identity and I found uh, that the World Economic Forum had worked on a project and they were supporting uh, refugees in a Jordanian refugee camp. And instead of giving them real value uh, in terms of physical currency or plastic cards to use, they were giving uh, the, the camp residents uh, balances that were facilitated by crypto and they were basically paying for uh, goods and services in the camp by scanning their irises. So I can see that being uh, a way to help protect against the physical nature of value. But I, I still have a lot of questions. What I do think would be a good idea would be to just talk about 
like how this works, right? How does the orb work? Because I think there is some like there is some like actually cool technology behind it, right? So so the way the orb work is you have an attestation mechanism where if Jack decides to get his eyes scanned, there will be a signature uh, paste on the attestation. So they take a picture of your eyeballs and they create a hash, which I think is called an iris code or iris scan. And with that iris code, they generate a zero knowledge proof. And so if I go and scan on the orb again, you it's going to say, hey, you know what? We know that you are human without telling you who you are or what your name is. Now, the only caveat with that is that we don't trust the hardware. This is all proprietary hardware built by the WorldCoin Foundation. No one knows how they built the orb or if they have any backdoors. And so building proprietary hardware like this could definitely create uh, risks uh, of centralization or just accessibility in general, even if this experiment was to succeed. What, what do you guys think? Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I also think when you think of like, identification and we brought up like universal basic income whatever the specifics of it are i think we could all agree that this project is at like level zero of like a, a long-term roadmap and vision right when you start talking world id the concept of universal basic income to me that all says governments would want to be involved at some point if it becomes large enough whereas right you have just take bitcoin for simplicity's sake right it necessarily was designed such that large corporations and governments couldn't intervene or change the rules of of that system uh, or sort of arbitrarily decide how it works right and so it is just ultimately this is open source tech anyone can build on it and the free market will probably end up helping us decide what does and doesn't have value and maybe things that have an element of centralization i mean we were just talking about base a few minutes ago it's not a centralized system but coinbase is running its sequencer we talked about this before we got on is coinbase is running the sequencer if they wanted to censor transactions or they had to then they probably will but people are still using it and so there's still like some element of value accrual taking place and who knows if that lasts over the long term like there were have to be real projects made on the on the platform and today there really aren't it's just meme tokens and same thing with worldcoin like two million people have scanned their eyeballs okay that's a start but there's seven eight billion people right so it's yeah. like you're still at like the very base layer but i feel like if a project like this got off the ground and got large enough then inevitably governments would want to be involved whereas with something like bitcoin i mean there is an element of governments will be involved in the regulation of centralized companies that are you know helping support the industry but it is necessarily just like fundamentally built on a different ethos right yeah and even when you talk about uh getting two million people on board they've actually had pretty questionable ways to recruit the first half uh, half a million folks to worldcoin so there were many instances and there are like videos on YouTube where uh, the WorldCoin Foundation folks uh, were going to countries in Africa and handing out free money without sort of explaining what the project is and what they're signing up for. And if you're interested, there is this uh, pretty nice report by the MIT Technology Review, which talks about how WorldCoin has used deceptive tactics to lure people into, into free money. And obviously, there's no such thing as free money, right? So... But going back to what you said, Jack, I think the biggest challenge will be regulation because especially with GDPR and local laws around PII, uh, this is as PII as it gets because uh, you're scanning your, your iris. 
And it's a good point because several nations won't allow this to uh, won't allow their citizens to participate in the the token side of of this, even if they choose to share their biometric information. But Jack, when you were talking about governments being interested, I it brought up um, memory in my past. I believe Parth, keep me honest if I'm saying this wrong, but I think it's Adhar, mm-hmm. which is an basically a digital identity uh, service that's provided by the Indian government, and they have the the biometric information of a, over a billion people. And that was uh, that was the, suffered a uh, an exploit back in, I think, 2018, if my memory is right. So I, I think part of the challenge is how do they get enough data in order to actually determine what is human versus what is not human when it comes into this, this type of iris scanning. So I, as I understood from some of my reading that this first 2 million people was intended to try and help support the training of the artificial intelligence that would work behind the scenes. What we haven't done, and I think we should do, is just talk about how the project says that it will help protect that PII data. And I've, I've read that it's going to be uh, utilizing zero-knowledge proofs that they intend to, at some point in time, to delete all of the iris data so that it's uh, just associated with the individual identity um, that that a person has had, but it's going to take some time for them to be able to get enough data in order to, um, I think, have have the training in place. And then, who's going to verify that they've deleted the data? That's the that's the scariest part, right? So even though they claim that they are taking your iris code and they are anonymizing it, and they will delete it later, but there are concerns that it might be misused or just accessed by unauthorized parties. And then I think you spoke about a really good point about how it's honestly a, a pretty beautiful honeypot for hackers, right? So with the amount of biometrics data that is available to the WorldCoin Foundation for the 2 million people who signed up, I'm, I'm sure they some of them may not care about privacy and they, maybe they're just interested in getting, getting their $50 uh, that they get when you sign up. But uh, I think privacy concerns, data breach and centralization are definitely the, the biggest concerns. But maybe we should also talk about tokenomics because I think that's what they they completely butchered in my opinion. Uh, so, uh, Jack, do you want to talk about it? Yeah, I mean, real simply, there's 143 million, give or take, tokens in circulation at the moment, trading about two dollars thirty cents, something like that. So that gives you uh, a, a circulating market cap of like just over 300 million for the project. But then if you look at the fully diluted token supply, there's uh, 10 billion tokens as the supply cap on this project. And so 143 million, uh, 10 billion tokens, that's what less than one and a half percent of tokens are, are circulating. Um, and that's technically a fully diluted market cap that's north of $20 billion today, 26 billion yeah. at current price. So yeah, just a lot of, it kind of gives you pause. What's worse is that you have, so out of the 143 million, you have 43 million given to the people who scanned their eyeballs. But the rest, the other 100 million is actually given to market makers outside of the US, right? So market makers like Binance, OKX for a period of three months. And so when you have market makers controlling 95% of the supply at launch, we've seen a lot, we've seen similar stories in the previous uh, cycles where if you had bad uh, tokenomics, it kind of bites you back, right? Uh, if you have that amount of money 
in uh, in in actors uh, that are that do not have the same uh, vision as you, right? Because market makers have complex incentives to to play around with this thing. So the tokenomics almost seems like what Luna or or even Axie had, where you have where you distribute free money to these emerging economies, to developing nations, and then kind of make the metrics look good, right? Like you and I are talking about this because they had 2 million people onboarded. Like if this was 100,000, we wouldn't even talk about it. Mm-hmm. And then build a promise to VCs and investors and say that, hey, you know what? This project has traction. Yeah, and, and like dilution on its own isn't necessarily terrible if it leads to an enhancement in the project, right? If if uh, if the whole reason that there's 900 million plus tokens that aren't, or my math, what's that nine 9.9 billion tokens uh that aren't trading is because those are like going to be given to users that scan their eyeballs right and then once we you build the platform up to a billion users well now you have a billion users and so the the market cap increases by the rate of dilution but if that created more network effects then that could be a net positive for the token uh but that doesn't necessarily seem to be the entire case here and the level of dilution is very extreme right yeah. like, 99% of the supply isn't circulating. Yeah, I guess my conclusion is that I think it's a pretty nice experiment uh, to solve uh, civil resistance and proof of personhood. But I would have preferred like a webcam or a face ID like solution instead of <laughs> scanning my my uh, eyeballs. And so uh, the, the technology sounds promising, but the to- tokenomics, obviously, they sound like a cash grab at the moment. Yeah, one thing's for sure, this project isn't going away. You know, they they've been building and and uh working on getting a a foundation of participants um I think for at least 3 years. They do acknowledge that there's some some risks uh they they talk about risks of uh transferability, um some open source technology risks, uh how they could help people address the loss of keys if they need to reissue, so you got to go back and find an orb. Um, and try to rescan again. But I personally have some concerns, as many people do. So I think we'll watch and see what happens. Generally speaking, it almost seems as if it's a problem that was sort of created with this push for the AI. So how do we solve for creation of AI? Uh, the risks of AI generated uh, deep fakes? Well, you've got this. Um, I, so I think there's a problem that, that they're trying to solve. I think in some ways, uh, with Sam Altman being part of that and having been part of the AI revolution, he's really on both sides of this particular challenge. Maybe he's well positioned to try and identify some of the challenges. The question is, how do we uh, agree upon a solution that's that's beneficial for all? Yeah, I think at this point, we're kind of at a loss, loss of words because it's such a wild idea that it's really hard to process <laughs> like what, what, what to say about this, right? And so, if if uh, if people get time, I would definitely rec- recommend reading this article by the MIT Technology Review on uh, Worldcoin. I think it's a pretty good report, uh, which talks about how they got their first five hundred thousand uh, users. And I'd also say uh, I believe Vitalik Buterin has written quite a bit about this project, trying to identify what each of the issues are that that are being um, supposedly addressed and then um, provides a I'll call it an objective point of view on um, the challenges associated with each of these particular attributes of this project so uh, both for and against cool so now that we have uh, 
accurately conveyed that we really don't know a lot about WorldCoin. We speculate a lot about it and we have some early uh, opinions. We should probably just tee up uh, what, a little bit around the curve uh, exploit and something we'll hopefully dive a little bit more deeply into next week. Um, uh, Jack, I think you probably saw the news over the weekend. Seems like there's uh, an exploit with respect to a particular code compiler, but what's the financial side? Is, we're talking millions, potentially tens of millions at risk. Tens of millions for you know, one of the largest decentralized exchanges. Of course, Curve, uh, most known for uh, stablecoin pools. But I believe this was not on stablecoin pools. Uh, this was on you know, some of the ETH pools yep. that they had trading. And Jason, you were doing some research earlier in terms of the specifics of order of events. But my understanding was that there was uh, a discovery of the exploit. They were trying to, you know, white hat hack, right? That quote unquote good guys trying to sort of save the day. And then it became publicized and then the exploit took place. Can you sort of correct me if I'm wrong? So I, I haven't followed every single step and Parth, feel free to chime in, but there I read some tweets about a particular entity uh, who had conveyed they were trying to reach the Curve team, but that their DMs were closed on Twitter. So they tweeted, or I should say zeded <laughs> about it. <laughs> and um, then that exploit became more commonly knowledge, uh, more commonly understood. And it may have been coincidental, but it seemed like the, the pace of the attack had sort of picked up around that point. But some white hack hackers actually did jump in as well. Uh, in order to try and use MEV as a way to front run the hackers to save some of the value to be returned later on back to the pools. But there are multiple ways to get in touch with a project team and maybe they didn't try every ch possible channel. Yeah, I would say this was actually, in my opinion, even though the scale was $100 million, but Curve is like is actually is is kind of the backbone of DeFi for in a lot of places. And so having a reentrancy, a multiple reentrancy attack, uh, which happened because of using a specific version of Viper, which is a, a programming language, and we can obviously talk more about this uh, next week. But I think it just talks about how, like, no code can exist without bugs, right? And Curve has been solid for so many years. It just goes on to tell you that you just always have to stay up to date on on your contracts. And I think the story. It might it might pass and it might be over, but it might not be over because there also are like there's a large loan out from the founder, one of the founders from Curve on Ave, where they posted their Curve tokens, like 175 million worth of them, uh, for a for a margin loan, effectively, right? That's what Ave does. Uh, and then depending on the token price, I've heard 44 cents is like the liquidation price if no action was taken. Price is just over 60 cents of the curve token, uh, down, you know, 15, 20% over the weekend. Um, so it'll be interesting to see this sort of play out over the next week or two. If we do see further downside, then that could create potential bad debts on Ave. So there's like some degree of potential contagion that could take place here, or maybe it, maybe it weathers over and maybe it passes, but we'll, we'll find out over the next week or so. And I think it's a really good point because we will find out. There's obviously knock-on effects, but I've heard could be 100 million that could be at risk. I've heard 47 million. You see the price of Curve taking hits in some places, but I also read a story out on Coindesk that said the Curve Finance token surged 500% on the Korean exchange Bitum. I don't know why, but it is kind of an interesting situation because 
Uh, you might anticipate moves, but I, I wouldn't necessarily anticipate a curve jumping 500% on an exchange when it seems that in other cases, it's trading a little bit to the downside. So, But I think it's a very good team. I'm sure they're going to get down to really addressing the particular issues. I think communication from them is going to be very important. The question is, where will they be communicating? Is it going to be Discord? Is it going to be Reddit, Twitter, and Parth? Where else are we talking about? <laughs> Telegram. That's Telegram. The, main, you kind the, of most out on the, main, yeah. the most important one. Yeah. <laughs> so we'll, we'll dive more into that next week. Um, thanks, guys, for a great conversation. You know, again, as we talk about often, uh, these are opinions of the guests, and we're all learning on the fly with some of these things. So uh, in time, we'll probably have uh, more informed opinions about some of these latest projects. But uh, we'll encourage you all, if you are a listener and, and you're enjoying what you hear about, please uh, feel free to reach out to us with some suggestions for topics. And we appreciate taking your time. Thank you. Smash the subscribe button. Crypto as an asset class is highly volatile, can become illiquid at any time, and is for investors with a high risk tolerance. Crypto may also be more susceptible to market manipulation than securities. Crypto is not insured by the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation or the Securities Investor Protection Corporation. Investors in crypto do not benefit from the same regulatory protections applicable to registered securities. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. This podcast was produced by the Fidelity Center for Applied Technology, also known as FCAT. FCAT does not offer digital assets nor provide clearing or custody of such assets. It is for informational purposes only and is not intended to provide tax, legal, insurance, or investment advice and should not be construed as an offer to sell, a solicitation of an offer to buy, or a recommendation for any security or other asset by any fidelity entity or third party. Views expressed are as of the date indicated, based on the information available at the time, and may change based on market or other conditions. Unless otherwise noted, the opinions provided are those of the authors and not necessarily those of Fidelity Investments or its affiliates. Fidelity does not assume any duty to update any of the information. Fidelity and any other third parties mentioned in the podcast are independent entities and are not affiliated. Mentioning them does not suggest a recommendation or endorsement by Fidelity. This information is not intended for distribution to or use by any person or entity in any jurisdiction or country where such distribution would, or use would be contrary to local law or regulation. Persons accessing this information are required to inform themselves about and observe such restrictions. Third-party trademarks appearing herein are the property of their respective owners. All others are the property of FMR LLC. Copyright 2023 FMR LLC. All rights reserved. 1040156.